Daniel chapter 1, I want to begin reading in verse 1. When you find your place, if you're able to do so, we ask you stand as we show our respect for the reading of God's holy word. I'm going to read, but I may stop and say a few things, but I won't keep you standing a long time here. But I just want to mention a couple things as we read through our text. Of course, Daniel chapter 1, talking about the children of Israel and and the the, uh, fall of uh, Jerusalem there. But notice here, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. The king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning, in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning of the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now I'm not finished reading here, but I want you to understand here, they chose young men out of the land of Judah there, and he said, I want you to bring them in, and I want you to educate them. He brought these young men who were children of the captivity, brought out of the uh, nation of Israel, and, and he gave them all full, full uh, ride scholarships to the University of the Chaldeans. And uh, he... Uh, Gave him the best education that was available there. And not only that, on top of that, he, he said they, they can have to eat, their daily portion will be the same stuff I eat. I mean, I would imagine that the king didn't eat leftovers, amen? He ate what they considered to be the finest foods, and of course they wanted to give him of the king's drink as well. Well, that's where we're here now in verse 6. Now, among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel... Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And verse 7 talks about the names that it, they were given. We always hear Daniel by Daniel, but the others are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But in verse 8, the Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again this evening for Your precious Word. And again, we ask Your blessings on the reading of Thy Word. We praise You, Lord, knowing that Your Word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, You use it in hearts and lives and in a very special and unique way. And Father, I pray You do that tonight. Help me as Your servant to bring a message that would be what You would want it to be and You'd use it to speak to hearts according to the needs. I pray, Lord, that faithful saints will be edified. I pray that backsliders would see their need and would be restored. And if there would be many among us that know not Christ, I pray they'd come to be saved. And Father, I, I pray You'd bring conviction in hearts wherever it's needed and work according to Your will and purpose. Get glory to Yourself, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And please be seated. Anyone who has read the life of Daniel and understands the Bible knows that Daniel was a great success in life. He was a great prophet. He was a great testimony for God throughout his days on this earth. 
he served successfully in the administrations of four different Gentile kings. Now that in and of itself was miraculous. Because in that part of the world, and the kind of government they had, and the, and the kings would come in and go out and come in and go out, uh, it, was, uh, it was customary when a new regime would come on the scene that uh, he wouldn't just replace his administration, he would execute uh, the former administration. Anybody had a part uh, with the former administration, that was a common thing. And Daniel served successfully in the administrations of four different Gentile kings, two of them Babylonian kings, and that was possible with father uh, you know, being replaced by his son, but he also served under Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian, and each one of these kings saw great value in this man of God. They saw great value in this man, in his character and his wisdom and the hand of God upon him, and it was seen and respected by king after king after king. He lived a long life and he stayed, stayed true to God throughout his lifetime. Daniel was a great man who lived a truly successful life. He was what I would call prosperous in the important things. You know, there's a lot of people who know how to make a living, but it narrows the ranks when you find people who know how to live. And Daniel uh, knew how not only to make a living, but he knew how to live before God. He was prosperous in the things of the heart. He was prosperous in the things of the inner man. He was prosperous in what we would call spiritual things, and things of eternal matters. Most men, and I could include the ladies here, but I'll use men for an example here. Most people, but most men have a desire to be successful. Whether they're Christian men or not, most of us want to be successful. Uh, people want to be successful in their job or their profession. People even like to be successful in their hobbies. I don't know about you, but I've had hobbies and I, and I want to do good at my hobbies. You know, most uh, uh, hobbies are not just sitting around, you know, whittling sticks into nothing and, and all of that, but uh, I like to play golf. And I'll be honest with you, I like it when I play better than when I play worse. Amen? And if you're a fisherman, you don't brag about the minnows. Amen? Well, when you're talking about the fish you caught, you're feeling pretty successful in your fishing uh, uh, endeavors and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with that. I believe God's made us that way. We want to be successful. Uh, if you're married, you want to be a successful husband. You, you want to be a successful father if God gives you children and those are things that ought to be in us, and we want to be a success. And tonight, I want to uh, bring a message with the title of Four Reasons for Daniel's Successful Life. Four Reasons for Daniel's Successful Life. You know, I think that any person in life that we could call a success in any endeavor of life or any part of life, there are some attributes that define them. There are some attributes that uh, help them be what they are. And when we talk about Daniel being a great success in the spiritual realm, in the political realm, he was successful in, in, in all things. We find here a man that had four things in his life that all of us would do well to have. Now, I want to tell you, i got four points to this message. And before I get into the first point, I want you to know the first point is the long one. And so when I say I have four reasons, and if you're a, a clock watcher and you say, man, he's been on this first point a long time. We may be here a while. Well, you're going to be here a while. That's, that's what happens when we come to church. Amen? And, and hear the preaching of God's Word. 
But my first point is the long point. I'm just letting you know that to start with. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, Daniel, first of all, started right. He started right. The Bible says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. You know, the full ride scholarship and the meat from the king's table. Well, the problem with the meat from the king's table and the drink that he would give them, they were forbidden under the Old Testament law. They were forbidden under the law of God. And Daniel was more concerned about pleasing God than he was about pleasing the king. And he purposed in his heart. And when I see that purposed in his heart, uh, I believe what that means is he aimed himself in the right direction. He aimed himself in the right direction. You know when you purpose in your heart, you're taking aim on something. Or you're taking aim against something maybe. But when you purpose in your heart, you're taking aim here. And one thing I've found in life is most people seem to be aimless. Most people uh, just seem to be part of the unto-word generation that uh, Peter spoke of in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40 when he said, deliver yourself from this unto-word generation. The word unto-word means going nowhere. But of course, remember, everybody's going somewhere. Everybody's going to heaven or hell. And if you don't aim yourself right, then the devil and your sinful nature and this old wicked world will aim you in the wrong direction and take you away from God and take you away from success in the sight of God and take you away from many things that you would desire to be and desire to have. You need to purpose in your heart. You say, preacher, how do I aim myself right? Well, let me give you a few ideas. This isn't a complete list. But if you want to aim yourself right, you need to purpose in your heart, first of all, to be saved and sure of it. You need to be saved and sure of it. By the way, I think some of the most miserable people in the world are people who hope they're saved or think they're saved. Or maybe they even are saved, but not sure they still are. You say, is that possible? I think when you get away from God, one of the things you lose is the assurance of salvation. But to be saved and sure of it, I believe right direction starts at Calvary, if I can say it that way. Jesus said you must be born again. Successful living starts with salvation. And then once you're saved, you need to purpose in your heart to walk with the Lord. To walk with the Lord. I think that involves, of course, being saved. I believe walking with the Lord involves being scripturally, biblically baptized under the authority of a New Testament church. I believe a Baptist church. And... And also a fellowshipping member. And when I say a fellowshipping member, I would call it maybe a participating member. You know, it's one thing to say I belong to the fellowship of this church or that church, but do you really belong to the fellowship of the church? In the sense, are you a participant? And not only in the fellowship get-togethers, but the, the fellowship of the gospel. The fellowship of serving God and participating in that ministry. I, I believe it, it, it starts with salvation, but... Walking with God is, is uh, to be baptized in a fellowshipping member. Paul said that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. I've thought about that. I've read that verse many times and I've mulled that over in my mind a lot of times over the years. And I, I thought about that I might know Him. He, he wants to walk with God is what he's saying there. And the power of His resurrection. Who of us that does not want to know the power of His resurrection? Who of us would not want to experience the, the power of His resurrection? Resurrection power in the way we live our lives and the way we serve God. We want that power of His resurrection. 
But he went a lot further in that next step than a lot of Christians want to go. He said, I want to know the fellowship of His suffering. I'm not pretending to know everything that that means. But I think Paul, and by things he wrote, by the inspiration of God, he understood this. Paul understood there's a closeness in our walk with Christ that can only come in the valleys of life. You know what I'm saying? There are lessons in the Christian life, in our walk with the Lord, that will only come during the trials and the difficulties of life. He wanted to know the fellowship of His suffering. I wish I could say this were not true, but I'm telling you, in my life it's very true. When I am going through a trial in life, my prayer life is different than when I'm on the mountaintop. Amen? I'm doing a lot of rejoicing when I'm on the mountaintop, and and I still pray when I'm on the mountaintop, but there's a fervency. (laughs) There's an urgency when I'm hurting or somebody I love is hurting, or the church is going through some kind of trial or difficulty. There's a lot of things we ought to be urgent in prayer about right now in our lives and in our country and things that are going on in our world today. But the fellowship of His suffering. Paul knew what suffering was, didn't he? I'm not going to go all into that, but I mean, when he lists the trials that he went through there over in Corinthians there and talks about what he had been through and so forth, and even when he talked about the thorn in the flesh in another place there, and he besought God and God said, My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul's response wasn't, but Lord, I don't want to have this weakness. The gist of what he said was, when Paul said, my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, then he said, most most gladly then will I glory in my infirmity. And what he was saying is, if my trials bring more glory to God than my my, uh, easy times bring to God, then I want to know the fellowship of His suffering. Because I want to walk with God in that way. We ought to purpose in our heart and seek to be. And I'm not asking God for trials. I'm not asking God for more burdens. I'm not asking Him for that. But I am saying, Lord, I want to be in Your will, whatever that is. Use my life to honor and glorify You and further Your work. However You can do that. And you know, He's taken me up on that a few times. And that's okay. We ought to want to serve God and know Him as best we can. Jesus Himself said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Put first things first. Follow God. Have a desire. Be sure you're saved and know it, but have a desire to walk with God. If I were to put it in real simple terms, to walk with God, and this doesn't cover it all, but this is really high on the list of things. Read your Bible and pray every day and obey. You want to walk with God. Those are real keys to doing that. He purposed in his heart to be saved. Sure of it. To walk with God. Let me tell you something else we all need to purpose in our heart. You need to purpose in your heart to keep yourself from sin. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. Daniel didn't want to dirty himself up by eating things that God said don't eat. And he didn't want to dirty himself up by uh, drinking things that he wasn't supposed to drink. He did not want to defile himself. And you say, preacher, you're getting a little bit 
wound up about that. Well, I just want to go on record by saying, it does matter to God how you live and how I live. In the year 2020, it matters just as much to God about how Christians live as it did 50 years ago. It was 51 years ago this month that I received Christ as my personal Savior. And I was made to understand pretty early on in my Christian life, it matters to God how you live your life. It still matters to God what places you go to, and what things you do, and how you talk, how you live, and what your activities are. And we could go on and on down the list there. I want you to know there's a lot of the king's meat out there that the devil would like to use to defile you. To dirty you up. He wants to defile your heart, your mind, your spirit, your will, your body. And I could preach on each of those. He uses lust and greed and envy and bitterness. And by the way, I just got to stop there on that bitterness. Pastor, have you noticed that when people come to your office and they're bitter, one of the first things they usually say is, I'm not bitter. They can tell you about how heavy their burden is and how much their problem is and how much somebody's hurt them or somebody is hurting them or whatever. And, and the, since Christians know they're not supposed to be bitter, they say, this has happened and I need help and I just want you to know I'm not bitter. I'm thinking, you're real close if you're not bitter. Bitterness will eat you up. It's a spiritual cancer. It doesn't matter what somebody's done to you. The very best thing you can do for yourself is forgive that person. Immorality of all kinds, it's out there, isn't it? And it's rampant, and it's in our face. Pride and wrong priorities and peer pressure, the devil uses it all. But I want you to remember, God uses clean vessels. God uses clean vessels. The only way you're going to keep yourself clean is first of all, of course, by the grace of God. But maybe even before that is the only way, only way you're going to keep yourself clean is if you do so on purpose. It means something you, you need to value. Something you want in your life. And you ask God for the grace to live that kind of life. And you seek God's strength to do that kind of life. But living a clean life won't happen by accident. And it certainly won't happen as a matter of convenience. It won't be easy. We live in these bodies of flesh. And these bodies want things. And this carnal mind, if we're not careful, wants things that will defile us. And keep us from being clean vessels useful in the hand of the Master. He was a success because he purposed in his heart to keep himself from sin. And by the way, in case you haven't read it, he took quite a risk. He took quite a risk. He trusted God that God knows what's best and I'll do what God says do and I'll not do these things that God says don't do. And you know, he could have literally been executed for the stand he took. But God vindicated the stand, didn't He? And by the way, God worked on the hearts of some other people so it was possible for Him to take that stand without dying while He was taking that stand to keep yourself from sin. By the way, this isn't in the notes. You remember Joseph in the Bible when Potiphar's wicked wife tried to seduce him into sin and he refused? You know what Joseph could have thought in his mind? 
You know, if I don't give in to this woman, she could ruin me. And for a while, it looked like maybe she did because he ended up in prison. I'm not going to go through all the story, but prison was on the path to God's best for Joseph's life. The truth is, if he would have given in to her, she would have ruined him. That's what would have ruined him. Purpose in your heart to keep yourself from sin and don't make excuses about an impossible situation or something. And then I'll not spend long on this, but concerning aiming ourselves right, we need to purpose on our hearts to have proper priorities and to seek proper balance in the Christian life. You know, there's a lot of Christians who value the things of God. They just don't value them enough. You know, they seek the kingdom of God, but they don't seek first the kingdom of God. Amen? They love the Lord, but He's not the first love. We need to have proper priorities in our lives. Let me just list them quickly without belaboring it. We ought to put sacred things over secular things. We ought to put eternal things over temporal things. Amen? We ought to put best over good. You know, the devil's a master at taking good things and distracting Christians from the best things. We need to put best. I mean, who doesn't value family time? Amen? Who doesn't value our children and, and, and wanting them to be happy? Wanting to get to do what they want to do. But you know, sometimes I don't get to do what my flesh would want to do, and sometimes my kids didn't get to do what they wanted to do because there was something more important than what somebody wanted to do. Proper priorities. Best over good. Duty over convenience. Just simply put, we ought to value the things of God over the things of the world. Proper priorities. And a lot of Christians fail to be what they could be for God because priorities are wrong. But then with the proper priorities, there needs to be proper balance. It's an important key. I think in every, every walk of life, I think balance is so important. It's important. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me not illustrate in a bunch of ways. But to have proper balance is be careful to not go overboard in one or two areas to the neglect of other areas that are also important. Uh, just to, and certainly don't neglect things in your Christian life. One of the illustrations of balance is, you know, as Christians, we ought to hate sin. While we love sinners. I don't know if you ever noticed or not, but sinners can be pretty annoying. Amen? They can go beyond annoying sometimes. And by the way, it's not always lost sinners. Sometimes it's sinners saved by grace. Boy, somebody getting a kick out. Want me camp here? <laughs> no, I'm going to go on. But we're, if we're not careful, you know, we get all troubled and you, I can't be around them because lost sinners act like lost sinners. And I don't want, they're not going to be my best friends, but I love them and care about their soul. I want to reach out to him, amen? And since you got me started on here tonight, sinners saved by grace need help sometimes too. 
If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, we ought to seek to restore such a one. The Bible talks about a spirit of meekness, <laughs> lest we also be tempted. I don't know about you, but I've got an idea. Sometimes my kids could make me more upset than a lot of other people because I expected better out of them. Anybody? Thank God for our... We, we, we have good kids, you know, and got along good in our home, but the people you get close to as brothers and sisters in Christ, we expect so much out of each other, and we should be able to expect some things out of each other. We should also expect sometimes about all of us are going to be a knothead sometimes. That's real spiritual talk, I know that, but you know what I mean by that. And we ought to hate sin and yet love and try to help sinners be what God wants to be. Another area of balance, and there's so many areas we could go, but the balance of prayer with human effort. The balance of prayer with human effort. An illustration I heard a long time ago was about the well-to-do lady that lived on the main street of town had a picture window, you know, right there in the front of her house and looked out over that. And somebody came to town and built a honky-tonk saloon right across the street from her house. She was a Christian lady. And she prayed, oh God, do something. I know evil things are going on over there. And she was troubled about it. And I, I don't blame her for being troubled about it. But she prayed and prayed and prayed. And she had a housekeeper who came in several days a week. And the housekeeper would notice her right there in her living room Praying, and she could tell, boy, she was, she was urgent in prayer about something, fervent in prayer about something. And she said, uh, and she said, what is wrong? I mean, I see you praying. Is there something I can pray with you about? And she said, oh, it's that old honky-tonk place, that saloon across the street. She said, it's evil and wicked things go on there. and I sure wish God would do something about it. And the housekeeper said, well, I'll pray with you. And so it was only a few days later, the lady got up, the lady of the house got up, and Looked out across the street and the place was burned to the ground. And her housekeeper came in later that day and she said, I don't understand. She said, I've prayed for weeks and weeks and weeks about this thing and three or four days and God's burnt the place down. What's the difference? And the lady said, the difference is I put feet on my prayers. (laughs) Now please don't go out of here and say, Brother Wood said, need to go burn something down. I'm not saying that. That wasn't the right way to handle I know that. But I think sometimes we're praying and praying and praying and praying and God's saying, won't you get up and do something about it? And there's a lot of things we can do something about without doing something wrong. Amen? We ought to pray for souls to be saved, but we ought to pass out tracts and witness to the lost as well. Amen? The balance of prayer with human effort now, moms and dads, be sure your kids get the explanation about that illustration, okay? I don't want any of these teenagers going out and burn something down this week, all right? Balance of prayer with human effort. Somebody said we ought to pray knowing it's all up to God, but we ought to work as if it's up to us. We ought to do what we can. The idea of balance in the Christian life is we ought to, uh, concerning Bible reading and prayer and fellowship and soul winning and church attendance and standards of separation and holiness, we ought to include all of these things and exclude none of them. We should neglect none of them. And you could probably add to the list. need to purpose in your heart to aim yourself right. 
Daniel was successful because he started right. He purposed in his heart. I want to ask you tonight, before I move on, are you aimed in the right direction? Do you need to correct something in your aim today? You follow what I'm saying? In the way you're living your life, what you're valuing, what you're, how you're living? Are you really trying to keep yourself from sin? Are you aimed in the right direction? Somebody says, preacher, I've been saved a long time. It's too late for me to start. You know, today is the first day of the rest of your life. And if your aim is poor or wrong or uh, not where it ought to be in your life, you know you could correct that tonight. And you could aim yourself, and this could be kind of a new start for you. Be a start of the rest of your life aimed in the right direction. You'll never regret aiming yourself right, purposing in your heart. That's the first long point, okay? The second point is Daniel was successful not only because he aimed himself right, but he was careful to give God the credit. And that's so important. In Daniel chapter 2, I could read a lot of it, but I won't read a lot of it. Let's look just here in the first four or five verses of Daniel chapter 2. It says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep break from him. And then the king commanded uh, to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, known as the wise men, for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before him, and the king said, I've dreamed a dream here, and he said, my spirit is troubled to know the dream. In verse 4, they said, well, tell us what you dreamed, and we'll tell you what it means. And in verse 5, the king said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. In other words, I can't remember what I dreamed. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. <laughs> That's called a totalitarian dictator. Amen? He said, I need to know what I dreamed, and I need to know what it means. And they tried to reason with him. said, this is an unusual thing. Nobody ever asked this. No king asked his wise men to tell him what he dreamed and what it means. And he said, okay, let's round them up and execute them. That's, I'm paraphrasing it, but if you read through there, you'll find out that was it. Well, there was a problem for our Hebrew children here. They're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. They were included in the eyes of the king among that crowd. It's kind of like your pastor and I. We fall under the heading of clergy there's a lot of clergy that were not anything like them. You follow what I'm saying? Well, Daniel and his uh, three friends, they fell under the heading of the wise men, and they weren't like those guys, but still, in the king's eyes, educated among them, taught among them, and so forth, and going to execute all of them. So Daniel got the other three together and said, we need to pray and ask God for an answer, because if he goes through with this decree, then we're dead. And so they prayed and God gave Daniel the answer and he went to the chief of the eunuchs and said, don't be so hasty about this execution. Uh, we've got answers. I've got an answer here for you. And the chief of the eunuchs said, are you able to interpret the dream? And Daniel's answer, I think I can pick these out without reading them all. Uh, he said in verse 28, there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. And then in verse 30, he said, but as for me, 
This secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. You see what Daniel's saying there is? He's saying, I can give the king the answer. I can give him the dream and the interpretation of the dream. But it's not because I'm smarter than all these guys. It's not because I have a higher IQ than all these. You understand what I'm saying? It's because there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He didn't take the credit. He gave God the credit for the interpretation of the dream. And my, what a, what a dream it was. And I'm not going to get into that tonight, but it was the, the dream of the great image with the head of gold and the breasts and arms of silver and the belly and thighs of brass and the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay and the, and the stone cut out of the mountains without, uh, without hands. It, it, it was a dream. It is, he gave the interpretation that time and then added to it with other dreams that God gave him in the book of Daniel. It described the six major world empires from the Babylonian Empire to the kingdom of Christ. What a deal that was that God revealed. And what I'm trying to point out here is if you aim yourself right, you know what I'm talking about? Purpose in your heart. If you aim yourself right and stay on track, God will use you. I'm talking about you, and you, and you, and you, and you. If you're a child of God and you aim yourself right, if you're not a child of God and you'll get saved and then aim yourself right as a child of God, God will use you. People go through life, too many Christians go through life saying, boy, I'm just looking for what God wants me to do and God's already using them. And God may have other things down the road, but if you're a faithful child of God, God is using you. And He will use you. And He will bless you. If you'll stay on track, He'll bless others through you. That's a big deal. He'll help you to be a blessing to others. You will have God's power upon your life to live right and to serve effectively. God will set you apart from others. At times, He'll actually set you above others if you'll aim yourself right and stay on track. But when He does that, don't ever, ever, ever forget to give Him all of the credit and all the glory and all the praise. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I want you to know tonight, you could not have been the Apostle Paul and not realize that God used you in some very special ways. I mean, Paul had the hand of God upon his life and he knew he had the hand of God upon his life. But instead of saying, yep, <laughs> I'm pretty special to God, he's done, he said, by the grace of God. Grace means you don't deserve it. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And we better have the same spirit. You know, Samson forgot the source of his strength power of God upon his life. He told Delilah the secret of his strength, and I believe it was not just his hair, but what his hair represented. The vow that he had kept before God. I, I believe that it was all a part of that. Well, he finally let her wear him down, and he told her the secret, and she cut his hair, and said, the Philistines be upon thee. And the Bible says, he awoke and shook himself as at other times to go against them, and he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. 
He thought, he, he thought the mighty power was Samson's power. Didn't understand it was God's power. And it cost him his strength and his eyes. They poked his eyes out. His honor. They tied him to a pole grinding meal like they would tie an animal to the pole and had him do that. It cost him his honor and ultimately it cost him his life. Need to understand, the Bible says, pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before the fall. Pride's a dangerous thing. Pride's a thing the devil would like to use to ruin your life and my life. The downfall of many immature Christians is pride. And by the way, pride is a temptation to every one of us. It is amazing how little success we have to have for us to be tempted to be proud. Amen? You know, some, win some little contest or, or do something that you know, brings a little praise to you or gets a ribbon or a trophy or an award or, or even something in the work of God. We do well, and God blesses that, and we'll be tempted to be proud. And you need to never, ever, ever forget, give God the glory. You are what you are by the grace of God. Anything about you or me that God can bless and use, you better give God the credit for that. Amen? It's about Him. By the way, there's nothing like a few problems and trials to take the strut out of a man or a woman. And God knows what we need. He is a success because He gave God the credit. Thirdly tonight, Daniel was a success because he was a man of prayer. Look in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. I'm only going to read one verse, but before you get there, the setting is Darius is the king and the other leaders in his administration were jealous of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and they set a trap, and they convinced Darius to make a decree that any man who would ask a petition of any god or man for the next 30 days, he's going in the lion's den. You're not allowed to pray to any god or any man for the next 30 days. Look at Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, in other words, it was made official, this decree, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Something I want you to notice here is Daniel was a man of God who prayed. He was a man of prayer before the uh, decree, while he was under the decree, and after the decree was lifted. He was a man of prayer. And God honored that. You know the story. He ended up in the lion's den, and the lions lost their appetite. <laughs> he slept well with the lions that night. And the next day, his accusers went in the lion's den after Daniel was pulled out, and they got hungry all at once. Daniel, God protected Daniel in the lion's den. He was a man of prayer. Ford Porter, 
who wrote the gospel tract, God's Simple Plan of Salvation. By the way, Ford Porter was my pastor's pastor. My pastor surrendered to preach under the ministry of Ford Porter back in about 1947. And uh, I met Ford Porter in his later years. He's my spiritual grandfather. He was known as a great man of prayer. And Ford Porter said, you can do nothing but pray until you pray. Wouldn't it be something if we lived our lives that way? You can do nothing but pray until you pray. Well, I'm feeling kind of sick. I guess I better go to the doctor. And I'm not against going to the doctor. I go when I get sick. But why don't you pray before you go? And if you're going, ask God to give the doctor wisdom and know what to do for you. And then ask God to do for you what God can't. Uh, uh, yeah, ask God to do for you what the doctor can't do for you. You can do nothing but pray until you pray. You got this big problem, this big thing you gotta uh, probably gotta try to tackle and deal with. It may be at work, it may be in the family, it might be in anything else. Why don't you spend some time praying before you just dive in head first? Be a man of prayer, be a woman of prayer. I believe that all Christian service and all Christian living and all decisions should be bathed and saturated in prayer. Man of God that I had as a Professor in Bible college, he told us uh, different times, he said, you will go no farther in Christian service than your prayer life will take you. And I believe that. By the way, I'm not a great authority on it, but I've read about revival meetings of the past, great revival meetings of the past, and I don't think there's ever been one that didn't start in a prayer meeting. And sometimes with just a very few people got serious about praying. And God did great things in answer to that. Daniel was a success because he was a man of prayer. And then last of all tonight, in Daniel chapter 5, I think we'll be about verses 10 to 14 in there, Daniel was a success because he had a reputation that he could help. A reputation he could help. Just the setting here is when King Belshazzar had a problem, and boy did he have a problem, he had through this big, I guess, riotous feast and probably drunken feast and so forth. And he had all the who's who of his kingdom there together and he's having this big feast and, and he got this idea, hey, where's those vessels that came out of the house of God in Jerusalem? Bring them out here. And they brought them out and they drank from those holy vessels. And in the midst of it, all of a sudden he looked over and he saw the hand of a man against the wall. That's where we get the saying, handwriting on the wall. This hand of a man, just a hand, not a man, just a hand. And it was writing something on the wall. And he, as you would have been, it scared him. And on top of that, he didn't know what it, the writing meant. Felt like he needed to know. The Bible says it scared him so bad that his knees smote one against another. I don't know if you've ever been that afraid before, but I have. You know, when I got saved, and I went before the church to make it public, I stood there, and it's the only time in my life I remember my knees hitting one another. I mean, I was bashful. I was scared. I wasn't ashamed of being saved. I just didn't like being in front of people like that. Well, this went way beyond that. And he didn't know what to do, and he was troubled, and the queen heard about it, and the queen said, I remember there's a man in, your, in the kingdom when your father was king. said the Spirit of the gods was upon him. He had light and wisdom from God. and She said, you need to call for Him. 
He has answers. He has God's answers. And in verse, I think it's 13 and 14, it says of Daniel chapter 5, it says, Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee that the Spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. He had a reputation that he could help. The reason, of course, it wasn't a good interpretation as far as the king was concerned. It was right, but it was to his doom. But the reason that he was called for is because he had a reputation that he could help. And I submit to you this evening, we need a reputation we can help. I need a reputation I can help. This church needs a reputation it can help. Amen? Your pastor has a reputation it can help. You need a reputation you can help as well. I don't know if you notice or not, but there's a lot of problems in the world. I mean, there's family problems. People have problems with their marriages. Married people have problems with their kids. Some kids are having problems with their parents that are legitimate problems. There's emotional problems. There are addictions of every kind. And what those are are self-destructive habits and lifestyles that people are living. Of course, in the spiritual realm, and these other things are in the spiritual realm, but what we would categorize, people need to be saved and they need to know how to be saved. They need to know how to handle problems biblically. Solve problems as they should. You know there are people who are sincere that need to know how to live right and serve God. And there are people, if they knew somebody who they thought knew how to live right and serve God, they would ask them. We need a reputation we can help. I know we run up against rejection and people that don't want to hear it and this and that, but there are people who do want to hear it. Let me give you a little bit of my testimony. And I don't like to use myself as an illustration, except this is one that I know and, and, and lived and understand. My testimony is that I grew up in an unsaved home, and when I graduated from high school, I went to Purdue University. Went there to study engineering. Hadn't been there very long, and I got saved. Received the Lord as my Savior. And uh, I finished my first year there and was signed up for the second year. And I uh, got a job at a place called Recreation Equipment Corporation. We made playground equipment. We made, you know, the real commercial kinds of slides and swing sets and merry-go-rounds. And we made the swing-down units for basketball gyms and so forth with the backboards that would come down. And I worked there. And my plan was to work there that summer go back to Purdue, but that summer God called me to preach. And I surrendered. And so, I didn't go back to Purdue that year. You have to understand, I just got saved the previous September. I'd never really been in church much. I was in church by now, and I was teaching a Sunday school class, actually, junior boys, but I surrendered to preach that summer, and I went to the owners of the factory, a small factory, and I said... Uh, could I stay on? I want to work a year and earn money and go off to a Bible college. And they let me stay. And I worked there for about 15 or 16 months in that place. And it was a small factory. It was about 20 men that worked in there. And I learned how 
I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I heard language there that I thought you'd only hear in the locker room in high school. And I heard it every day, and a lot of it. Some pretty rough, just sinners. And I was, when I went to work there, I was 19 years old. I was 20 years old when I left. And every man in there except for one was old enough to be my father. And the one that wasn't old enough to be my father uh, was about 15 years older than me. And while I was there, several of those men during that time, before lunch, would come to me and say, hey, you got a minute? Could I talk to you? And at lunchtime, they would come to me and talk to me about a problem they were having at home with their kids, with something going on in their life. And I'd like to say I solved all their problems. I led all of them to Christ. I did what I knew how to do. I was a young Christian. I witnessed to them. I tried to point them to the Lord and so forth. And I heard later that some of them did get saved. Praise the Lord for that after I left there. But what I'm trying to point out is I wasn't the likely one for these older men to come and talk to. Are you following? The reason they came to me is because they saw, and I'm not bragging about this, this should be true of every one of us. They saw what they believed to be a real Christian. Somebody who was sincere about knowing the Lord and endeavoring to walk the Lord. You can only imagine how some of them razzed me and gave me a hard time and told dirty jokes around me anytime they could. And uh, There was one guy in there and he was a vile old man and he'd, he'd say, how you doing today, preacher? Just venomous. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, I finally said, I'm not going to take this. And one day he said, how you doing, preacher? I said, I'm having a good day. How about you, sinner? <laughs> you say, well, that would have pushed him away. I didn't get to lead him to Christ or anything. But I think he needed to know that a Christian wasn't just the whipping post. Amen? have some backbone. So I've said all that to say this. You need a reputation you can help. It didn't happen all the time, and I know a lot of it had to do with my office as pastor, but there were a few people over the years that would call me on the phone and want to come and see me for the sole purpose of getting saved. I had a reputation I could help. A man in our church that I led to Christ years ago he was witnessing one of the guys at work and, and uh, they were talking about it the day before and, and uh, they made an appointment. They decided the next day when they got off work, they were coming to the church and he was going to lead this guy to Christ. And he called me that afternoon and said, Preacher, are you in your office? I said, Yes. And he said, Well, I'm bringing Joe down and I want to lead him to the Lord, but I want you to be there in case I get stuck. And he came and led the guy to the Lord and they came to my office. And Joe was a pretty rough, he was a pretty rough member of what you'd call the, if there is such thing, stereotype of the Harley Davidson guys. Earring and, and uh, long hair and a fighter. All those kind of things. And he came in and said, I got saved today. And he's still a member of the church today. That's been 30 years ago. But John led Joe to the Lord because John was a witness who had a reputation that he was what he said he was. The guys that worked with him had seen his life change. 
And you know, not if you've been saved a long time, people aren't going to see that your life changed, but they can see that your life is different than theirs. It's called a testimony. If you want to be a success at serving God, you need to have a reputation you can help. Four reasons for Daniel's success in life, and these can be applied to you and me, is he started right. He purposed in his heart. He aimed himself in the right direction. That starts with salvation. Once he aimed himself right, and once you aim yourself right, it involves walking with the Lord and keeping yourself from sin and being a faithful witness for Christ and submitting to the Lordship of Christ and endeavoring to be a Spirit-filled Christian. You start right, and when you do, and stay on track, God will bless you and you need to give Him, God, give him all the credit. You need to be a man or a woman of prayer. And you need to desire to have a reputation that you can help. And I'm not talking about being one who's going to be nosy in everybody's business. You understand what I'm saying? You need to have a reputation that you're real as a Christian. Everybody that knows you ought to know that they know a real Christian. Not one of the hypocrites they all complain about, and that's why they don't go to church. You need to be the real thing. Is your life tonight being a successful life? Is there something in your life that you can see is missing of these four things? Is there an area of your life that's weak and you know it concerning these four things? You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be totally not there, but is it weak? Is it not what it ought to be? Do you need a fresh start in some area of your life this very night? Maybe you have some aim, but it's not as focused as it needs to be. Maybe you need to sharpen your aim tonight. Daniel was a success, and God wants us to be successes for him as well. He has something, he has many things that he wants to use us all to do. Let's endeavor to be successful in the really important things. Let's bow our heads tonight, please. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just very quickly. I talked about. Successful living starting with salvation. Jesus said you must be born again. And He's not saying I'll make you be born again. What He's saying is if you want to be a child of God and go to heaven when you die, you must be born again. Being born again is another way of talking about being saved. Even if you don't understand much about it, if you understand tonight you're a sinner in the sight of a holy God and you need salvation, yet you know in your heart if you die tonight you're on your way to hell, you know enough to come and be saved. People think they have to have some kind of certain feeling to get saved. And I'll tell you, the only feeling you need is you need to be, feel guilty in the sight of a holy God. A sinner needing forgiveness. God would save you tonight if you would come. wonder if there would be those who would say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I'm concerned about my soul. Would you pray for me? I want to get this settled. Again tonight, I'll say I wouldn't embarrass you. I wouldn't try to coerce you into doing something but I care about you and I'd like to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up and back down? Preacher, I'm not saved. I don't know for sure if I died tonight, I'm on my way to heaven. Would you pray for me? Maybe there's Christians here tonight who say, Preacher, God spoke to my heart as a Christian. He's dealing with my heart right now. I'd like for you to pray for me. I want to get victory tonight. I want to do what God would have me to do. Would you slip your hand up and let me pray for you tonight? God bless you and you. Would there be others? Yes, God bless you. You can put those hands down. And you as well. 
and you. Would there be others say, Preacher, God's dealing with me. Please pray for me. Would you let me pray for you tonight? Father, we thank You tonight for Your Word and the privilege of preaching Your Word. Thank You for what appeared to be attentiveness of people to Thy Word. And now, Lord, I pray we'd be attentive to Thy Spirit as He convicts and convinces our heart. And Lord, I know for the lost person, they don't understand that terminology, but Lord, I pray You'd help people to realize their need for Christ. I pray for any among us that know not Christ, they'd come and be saved. I pray for Christians that You're dealing with. Might they not put it off? Might they come? and get things right. Maybe there are those that need to rededicate their lives, or there are those who need to surrender for some kind of service that you've spoke to their heart about. It could be any number of things. It could have to do with behavior or anything. Lord, help us to be attentive. Lord, make the conviction real and help us to respond as we should. I do pray for those that raise their hand that tonight would be a victory for them, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please.